This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is God Wants You to Succeed. In the first half, Richard G. Scott and Janet G. Lee share their addresses for success in life, and the Lord doesn't grade on a curve. Then in the second half, Peggy H. Anderson speaks on The Lord Desires Your Success. One way to begin to express gratitude is by sharing with you students who graduate today some principles that serve me well that may provide meaningful help as you commence your postgraduate life. This day is the beginning of a fascinating journey for each of you. I'll explain what I mean by an analogy. In the greenhouse of a nursery, small seedlings are nurtured, carefully nourished, and watched over until they develop into a sapling that is better suited to face the challenges of growth in the world. Brigham Young University has served you in like manner. You've grown here. You've discovered talents and abilities probably unknown to you previously. You now realize This is just the beginning of an exciting, invigorating, productive, extraordinarily interesting journey. It is one of ever seeking to learn, to apply, and to share the fruits of your searching for knowledge and experience. My message comes from my heart because of the appreciation and love I have for each one of you. My desire is that the counsel given will not only benefit you who graduate, but you who continue your education at this exceptional university. To stand at this pulpit in the presence of such a concentration of devoted, righteous graduates and parents and loved ones is to be profoundly moved with gratitude and appreciation. I'm deeply touched as I contemplate what can occur in the coming years from what you graduates of BYU will do with the knowledge and experience gained at this unique university. You have the potential for making critically important contributions throughout the world. You can form eternal families, orient and raise righteous children, strengthen a host of professions, give caring service and be a potent force for good in the world that desperately needs it. You've accomplished this at an exceptional university that has focused on academic excellence and building of strong character in its student body. You are unique among the graduating students of the world for having been schooled at a Latter-day Saint Church University. Therefore, we expect of you future accomplishments far beyond those asked of a graduating class elsewhere. Your presence here indicates you are a singular man or woman of great value and potential. We expect you to be righteous, effective leaders, to contribute strongly to society, and to build worthy, eternal families. Your preparation here has provided an exceptional foundation for you to realize worthwhile ambitions and to accomplish much good. You've been supported by noble parents and family, and some by the loving spouse. You've been encouraged by a competent faculty where individual instructors have become impressive sources of professional knowledge 
as well as worthy role models. Often the devoted staff has eased the way through the bewildering challenges of a college education. All of this activity at Brigham Young University has been guided by an exceptionally devoted university president. As your life unfolds, you'll encounter challenges that will test severely your strength and ability. You'll find that the education you have received at this campus will provide the capacity to resolve some of those challenges. You'll confirm that your education is a key to help you open the doors of opportunity. You will likewise prove that it is not, however, a guarantee for success. It must be coupled with hard work, consistency, and devotion to duty. If you're wise, you'll seek the inspiration and guidance of a loving Heavenly Father. You'll find some challenges that can only be resolved by prayerful communication with Him and by being sensitive to the resulting impressions that come through the Holy Ghost. Faithful obedience to those spiritual promptings will protect, guide, motivate, strengthen, and crown your efforts. You will find success, joy, and happiness for yourselves and great blessings for those whom you love and serve. For the Savior has stated, Ask the Father in my name, in faith believing that you shall receive, and you shall have the Holy Ghost, which shall manifest all things which are expedient unto the children of men. With your graduation, you are given increased freedom to act. There is a lessening of control so that you may be able to make more basic decisions on your own. Some erroneously consider this a release from bondage, a removal of shackles, a breaking of restraints. In the excitement of new freedom, a few use unwisely their agency to select paths which lead them away from the solid moorings of the gospel and the faultless direction of the Holy Spirit. Some are tempted to begin foolish experimentation along forbidden paths even on the day of graduation. May no one in this graduating class cast aside the spiritual heritage that has been acquired over years of diligent study and obedience. The freedom of choice given in increased measure this day provides greater opportunity for limitless personal growth and development as well as for unbounded service to others. It also will yield happiness beyond the power of expression when exercised within controlled environment that the gospel plan provides. I have a few concrete suggestions for you who graduate today. They are simple yet profound. They are drawn from the doctrine of the Lord and personal experience that has brought happiness and success to my dear wife Janine and to me. Use correct principles. Establish a set of guiding principles for your life from the teachings of Jesus Christ. Never compromise them. Difficulties in life begin when small deviations from true principles are made to justify a quick move to greater accomplishment. Over time, that pattern brings failure. Strength comes from making no exceptions to guiding principles. 
Without such a foundation, an individual lives for the moment, making decisions according to popular trends or current circumstances. Such will likely violate eternal truths and lose by rationalization many of the marvelous opportunities of life that bring great achievement and happiness. Exercise faith. It is understandable that you feel some anxiety about your future. Because you are an exceptional young man or woman, the Lord will accelerate your growth by giving you experiences that could stretch your current capacity to the limit. Let your predominant attitude be faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and confidence in His teachings. Trust in His ability to keep His promises and reliance on His capacity to inspire, motivate, and guide you. Stay close to Him through faith and obedience. Then through the Holy Ghost, He will help you find the solution to every perplexing problem you will face. The answers to major challenges will likely come after considerable prayer and pondering. Usually portions of the answer will be given a piece at a time until the full answer is received. Work and pray. I share an insight for success from an individual of humble background who achieved exceptional spiritual and material attainment in this life. It is to him we owe the gratitude for this facility in which we meet, namely J. Willard Marriott, Sr. He said, Work and prayer are the two greatest words in the English language. Each of you will benefit by carefully applying that counsel in your life. Be disciplined. Discipline breeds determination. Determination fueled by discipline overcomes the barriers in life that would cause us to fall far short of our true potential. Determination, when supported by practice discipline, converts barriers into ladders to greater success and happiness and joy and accomplishment. Rigorous discipline is at the core of all significant attainment. Strict discipline is at the root of significant character development. Discipline is self-strengthening. The more it is exercised, the more capacity is available for its use. An individual that is truly disciplined does not flaunt it. Rather, he or she employs it wisely and is generously understanding of those who lack discipline. I have learned much about quiet discipline from my precious wife, Janine. It was the central hallmark of her character. While understanding and generous with others who did not employ it in their lives, she was strictly disciplined in her own life. Radiate a positive attitude. Let your attitude be that of continuing happiness. The challenges you face, the growth experiences you encounter, should be like temporary scenes played out on the stage of a continuing peace and happiness. Don't become so absorbed in a single event that you can't think of anything else. Challenges are not intended to be the substance of life. It is by understanding and obeying the teachings of God that your life will fulfill its glorious purpose. 
That perspective keeps challenges confined to their proper place, stepping stones to further growth and attainment. Life should and can be wondrously beautiful. Establish a home and family. Make one of the highest priorities of life the formation of an eternal family, and then live to permit the Lord to guide you to that objective while accepting His timing. Some of you have begun to reach that sacred objective as wife and husband. Others are in the process of finding that special eternal companion. Some of you may have feelings that you will not have such a blessing. Do not cheat yourself that way. Live to be led to an eternal companion so that the Lord can bless you. Your home should be a haven of peace, free of conflict and dissension. It is there where the gospel is most effectively taught and lived. Make the place where you live, no matter how humble or temporary, a clean, righteous, peaceful environment where the Spirit can dwell. Keep the contaminating influence of unacceptable media, internet, magazines, and the like out of your home. Trust in the Lord. Be obedient to His counsel. Follow His commandments, and you will be filled with inspiration and power. You will obtain goals beyond your personal capacity. Do not judge your potential by what you are today, but by what you can become under the guidance of the Lord. Those who disobey the commandments of God face the challenges of life alone without the guidance of the Holy Ghost. One of the greatest indications of career success is deep self-confidence in your ability to overcome challenges. That self-confidence comes from knowing that you do not walk alone. Your obedience will bring confidence. That confidence will bring appropriate power. You will learn that the Spirit can bless you in every walk of life. Material things do not of themselves produce happiness and satisfaction and the joy of attainment on earth. They are not required for your exaltation. It is nobility of character that gives life its full meaning. Such character is the fabric of inner strength and conviction. It is woven from countless righteous decisions, none of which is difficult to make. A consistent righteous life produces an inner power and strength that can be permanently resistant to the eroding influence of sin and transgression. Be honest and loyal. Keep your word. Keep your commitments. If your responsibility is to provide an income for a family, acquire work with good leadership in a field that really matters. Give more than is expected. With your background from this university, minimum or average work is simply not acceptable. Admit mistakes when you make them, for we all do. That act builds character and also respect. Accept full responsibility for your actions. Live so that you are trusted. 
Trust opened wide the gate to exceptional opportunity and success. Seek to be challenged in what you do. Don't look for a safe haven where you have no risk, for you'll not grow and have no real satisfaction. Do not divide your life into separate compartments that apply to profession, church, family, with different standards for each compartment, as is done in the world. Live consistently one high standard of truth, integrity, and hard work. That pattern will bring you success in every important aspect of life. Follow proper traditions. Some traditions fortify families, others severely challenge them. Let the traditions you make part of your home bring blessings by making your first priority your membership in the Church of Jesus Christ and His teachings your foundation for life. Where traditions and customs are in harmony with his teachings, cherish and follow them to preserve your culture and heritage. Where family or national traditions or customs conflict with the teachings of God, simply throw them away. Smile. Everyone has problems, but no one wants to know about yours. Smile a lot. It's a beautiful way to let sunshine into your life and to spread it to the joy and benefit of others. Don't complain. There are times when life just isn't fair. Some others may make unjust decisions that affect you professionally or otherwise. Don't waste time complaining. Life is charged with opportunity when you seek the help of the Lord to find it. Look for the gold nuggets of opportunity around you. Mine them and use them. Serve others. Immense happiness comes from serving others selflessly. Always have a church assignment. Always. Don't request specific callings, but ask to be used so that you are constantly connected to the reality of eternal truth. That effort will keep your life in balance. Express gratitude. Show gratitude for the blessings of life, the miracle of sight and the other senses, the love of family, the restoration of truth, the wonder of spiritual guidance, and especially for the atonement and the gifts that flow from it. Peace and happiness are the precious fruits of a righteous life. They are only possible because of the atonement of our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Today, as you commence the balance of your life, recognize that the Lord has placed divine influence of the Holy Ghost in your life that will lead you along the individual path He would have you fulfill here on earth. Through much prayer and pondering, seek to identify and carefully follow the influence of that Spirit. Such direction is most easily identified by humbly seeking the will of the Lord. As an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, I invoke a blessing upon each one of you, conditioned on your obedience and faith, that the Lord will guide you through the Holy Ghost.
to make the correct choices and important decisions you now face, and that you will feel that guidance in your life as you seek it. I testify that with unimaginable suffering and agony at an incalculable price, the Savior has earned his right to be our intermediary, our Redeemer, our final judge. Through faith in Him and our Holy Father, receipt of the required ordinances and covenants, you can earn your right to the blessings of eternal marriage made possible through His infinite Atonement. You can qualify through continuing obedience for the glorious privilege of eternal life in the celestial kingdom with obedient loved ones. I bear this witness with every capacity that I have. I know it is true. I know the Savior lives. I know He knows each one of you individually. He has an individual plan for you that you will discover a piece at a time as you seek guidance from Him. He is real. Our Father is real. They love you and they will guide you. I so testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You're listening to Finding Center. We've just heard from Richard G. Scott. And now we'll hear from Janet G. Lee for her address, The Lord Doesn't Grade on a Curve. Just 18 days ago, our daughter-in-law, Sharon, gave birth to twin boys, James and John. As you can imagine, there was much rejoicing on the morning they were born. Excited and loving grandparents, aunts and uncles, and friends all lined up in front of the nursery window, marveling at the beautiful little faces and the perfect little bodies. Are they identical, we all asked? The preliminary tests were inconclusive, which of course made us even more curious. We stared at them, placed side by side, and compared them from their ears down to their toes. Was one lighter, darker, fatter, thinner, smaller, bigger? Benny's brother? This led to questions in our minds. Would one be more athletically or musically inclined? Would one have an easier time in school? Would one have more friends? Watching from outside the nursery window, we could see the new father, our son Michael, busily going from one baby to the other, speaking softly and gently touching them. When we were finally able to talk to him in the hallway, he was full of excitement and pride about how each one was doing noting their individual characteristics. In our curiosity, we had been drawing comparisons, but Michael, as the loving father, had focused on each boy separately. As I left the hospital, I continued to think about these new little members of our family and whether it would be hard to be compared constantly with someone else. I hoped that our family would be able to value each child individually. Then I began to think about life and how we often tend to compare ourselves to others. We compete with brothers, sisters, roommates, friends, people with whom we work and go to school. Sometimes we even seem to be in competition with our husbands or wives. A few days later, still reflecting on this thought, I remarked to a friend, Life is like being in school. 
We're continually grading ourselves on some imagined scorecard trying to see who gets the A. You must remember, my wise friend answered, the Lord does not grade on a curve. This remarkable phrase caught my attention. Whatever we are doing, wherever we see ourselves in the scale of life, we need to put aside the world's preconceived notions of what we should be and remember the Lord doesn't grade on a curve. We all want to do our best as we go through life. Sometimes, however, the most visible measuring stick we use to examine how we're doing is the one devised by the world. We naturally recognize people who are at the top. We applaud them. We see their names on honor rolls. We read about them in newspapers and magazines, and we try to emulate them. There's nothing wrong with that, except when we try to determine our intrinsic worth or the value of those around us by our comparative grades, social status, acclaim, appearance, salaries, degrees, or possessions. It is an inevitable fact of life that we compare ourselves to others, yet it can be a very dangerous practice. If we give ourselves a superior rating, we fall into the trap of pride. President Benson has warned us that the proud depend upon the world to tell them where they are to be judged on the ladders of worldly success. If we see ourselves at the top of the ladder, we diminish the significance of others, sometimes overlooking important qualities that our grading scale ignores. We may not even be able to be aware that we're doing this. Not long ago, Rex and I visited a small ward in another part of the world. There was no organ or piano present. The bishop didn't own a suit jacket or even a tie, and the Relief Society president didn't use a day planner. But the spirit in those meetings filled our hearts with love for our Savior and for our fellow beings. We went there thinking that because of our vast church experience here on the Wasatch Front, that there might be a way that we could help lift or teach this little ward. Instead, they taught us with their pure testimonies of Christ. An equally dangerous practice is giving ourselves an inferior rating. In this instance, we often compare our weakest points with everybody else's strongest ones. If we believe we're at the bottom of the ladder of success, we feel defeated. I remember one afternoon sitting as a family in sacrament meeting where a very talented family performed a beautiful musical number. Each instrument was perfectly tuned and exquisitely played, creating an atmosphere of truly celestial music. At first I listened attentively, but soon a part of me became distracted as my thoughts tore into the spirit. What kind of a mother am I? I should have made our children practice more. Then, glancing at my row of children, I thought, don't kid yourself, our gene pool just didn't produce great musicians. Well, maybe we could polish the piano keys or carry the instrument cases or even wheel in the harp if we didn't trip. But at that very moment, in my narrow perception, I felt we were among the lowly. And this musical family was surely several rungs up the celestial staircase. Why do we do that to ourselves? When someone else does something well, 
or own something we do not have, why do we immediately knock ourselves down a rung or two? Appreciating the abilities and resources of others should lift us, not diminish us in any way. Every time we hear or see something of merit, we should be better because of it. The Lord must have intended it to be that way because each of us has been given different gifts, unique abilities, and varying insights. We cannot have every talent and every virtue. The only way we can experience all that is lovely or of good report or praiseworthy is to enjoy at least some of it vicariously. We may never play tennis like Chris Everett, sing like Ariel Bybee, or throw a football like Steve Young, but we can come closer to appreciating those talents if we spend our time in joyful observation rather than in degrading envy. If we are troubled by the inadequacies of our home when we visit a neighbor, then we have rejected their gift of hospitality. If we belittle ourselves when we study with a brilliant friend, we close our minds to at least part of what we could be taught. If we berate ourselves as we observe the gentle nature of President Hunter, we miss the magic of his example. Being able to appreciate and enjoy the gifts of others may well be the greatest gift of all. The third danger is viewing ourselves in a dead heat with those around us. We need to be reminded that life is not a horse race. This past semester, a student returned from the testing center with a lower grade than expected. She was discouraged, knowing that she could have studied harder. Then one of her roommates suggested that she should wait to be depressed until she found out how everyone else in the class had done. Maybe the curve would be in her favor after all. Sometimes this is how we view life. We justify our actions, feeling that those around us are doing no better than we are. In this situation, we choose to make comparisons only with those who make us feel good about ourselves when we are not doing our best. When we do that, we are forgetting once again that the Lord does not grade on a curve. The story of Enoch helps us to realize the Lord's ability to measure our individual potential and worth. At the time the Lord called Enoch to prophesy to the people, Enoch basically responded, Why have you chosen me? He explains all the reasons he feels incapable. I am but a lad. All the people hate me. I'm slow of speech. But the Lord knew Enoch's heart and blessed him to become a mighty prophet who was respected and loved by the people. As Elder Marvin J. Ashton explained, when the Lord measures an individual, he does not take a tape measure around a person's head to determine his mental capacity or his chest to determine his manliness, but he measures the heart as an indication of the person's capacity and potential to bless others. Never will our eternal value be measured in comparison with another's performance. The Lord doesn't think in terms of quotas, only qualities. He does not accept just the top 10%. He wants all of us. He sees our worth from where we are today and what we can become tomorrow. 
each of us stands on equal footing as we work to develop Christ-like qualities such as love, humility, patience, and charity. He will attend to our individual needs and assess our progress because it is His work and His glory to help us succeed. When our measuring stick is Christ's life and teachings, we need no other comparison. As President Hunter says, the Savior set a perfect example of right living, of kindness and mercy and compassion, in order that all the rest of mankind might know how to live, might know how to improve, and know how to become more godlike. We should try to be like him, even as the primary children sing, Try, try to be like him, try, try, try. I testify to you that each of us is loved and valued beyond any earthly means of measuring. Because the Lord knows our hearts and sees our individual worth, He does not grade us on a curve. That we may see ourselves and others in this light as we strive to emulate the teachings of our Savior is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is God Wants You to Succeed. We've just heard from Janet G. Lee. After the break, we'll return with Peggy H. Anderson for The Lord Desires Your Success. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is God Wants You to Succeed. Next is Peggy H. Anderson, an associate teaching professor in the BYU College of Nursing at the time of this address, titled The Lord Desires Your Success. I love coming to campus every fall. I can fill of your knowledge and intelligence. I find it invigorating. In Doctrine and Covenants 93, verse 30, we read, All truth is independent in that sphere in which God has placed it, to act for itself as all intelligence also. Otherwise, there is no existence. In Doctrine and Covenants 93, verse 36, the Lord clarifies the meaning of intelligence. The glory of God is intelligence, or in other words, light and truth. We have been instructed in Doctrine and Covenants 88, verse 118 to seek ye diligently and teach one another words of wisdom. Yea, seek ye out of the best books words of wisdom. Seek learning even by study and also by faith. What does this mean for you and me? In my mind, this translates to being diligent in pursuing knowledge and obedient in applying my learning to righteous purposes as I exercise faith. President Brigham Young taught, and I quote, We keep learning, and we do not expect to cease learning while we live on earth. And when we pass through the veil, we expect still to continue to learn and increase our fund of information. That may appear strange, a strange idea to some, but it is for the plain and simple reason that we are not capacitated to receive all knowledge at once. We must therefore receive a little here and a little there. Close quote. 
In other words, the work of knowledge and subsequently intelligence is developmental and ongoing throughout our lives. We begin learning as an infant, and personal development is ongoing. One of my favorite growth and development theories comes from a well-known psychologist, Eric Erickson. Dr. Erickson maintains that an individual's development occurs throughout the span of life. He outlined a theory known as the eight stages of psychosocial development. This is a theory that I have found enlightening, especially considering our understanding that Heavenly Father's plan for us is developmental. I have implemented aspects of this theory into my daily interactions, not only as a professional, but also as a wife, mother, friend, daughter, and neighbor. According to Erickson, during the course of our lifetime, each one of us moves through specific stages of development that are framed with opposing core conflicts. He proposed that each conflict must be successfully mastered before progressing to the next stage. Speaking very simplistically, as we successfully resolve each stage of development conflict, we are prepared to move forward to the next phase. Each phase of development builds upon the prior stage. The stages of development are as follows trust versus mistrust, autonomy versus a sense of shame and doubt, initiative versus guilt, industry versus inferiority, identity versus role confusion, intimacy versus isolation, generativity versus self absorption and stagnation, and ego integrity versus despair. Resolution of the conflict of each stage of development is progressive. The conflict is not always mastered during the specific stage suggested and may be returned to later in life for resolution. As I look back at my own personal growth and development and acquisition of knowledge and intelligence, I can see light, truth, and faith guiding my progression through each stage. I would like to share with you a few of my educational insights as I moved through some of the stages of development and learned, as suggested by Elder Bruce R. Hafen, line upon line, step by step, grace for grace. Close quote. The stage of industry versus inferiority is a time of work and productivity. We begin school and we start to think more independently. When I was a young girl in this stage, my father, an engineer, would encourage me to logically think and reason. Use your brain, he would say as he encouraged me to seek additional knowledge and understanding in all areas of my life. He taught me to reason and to critically think. He taught me to seek for light and truth in both the academic and the spiritual realms. I did not truly understand the context of his comment, but over time I grew to recognize the beauty of knowledge and intelligence and the empowerment of education and the importance of spiritual faith coupled with secular learning. The conflict of identity versus role confusion during our teenage years is difficult for many. During this time, we incorporate our personal beliefs with that of society, and we begin to make decisions about our future. When I was a teen, I would occasionally defy my parents' suggestions regarding my performance in life. I remember very distinctly being frustrated with my mother one day as she proposed recommendations for my future. As my mother advised me, I angrily turned and began to walk away. And then I heard her quietly comment, I only want you to be a better person than I am. My heart immediately softened, and I wondered, how could anyone possibly be better than my own dear mother? 
I have since apologized for my behavior, but her comment, or rather challenge to be a better person, has stayed with me throughout my life. As a teen, and even now, it motivates me to be a better person. It taught me the importance of application of my learning. As a result of my parents' teachings during these stages of development, I set goals for my life—goals for my future family, goals regarding my education, and goals for my spiritual growth. I feel that when goals are combined with faith and reason, they empower us throughout all life stages as we seek to resolve many of the developmental conflicts. Goals enable us to engage our minds in righteous endeavors and motivate us to be a better person. Even President Hinckley, at the age of 92, set goals to be a better person. And I quote, I, for one, have made a stronger resolution within myself to be a better person than I have been in the past. I hope that I will be a little kinder to any I meet who may be in distress. I hope that I will be a little more helpful to those who are in need. I hope that I will be a little more worthy of your confidence. I hope that I will be a better husband, a better father and grandfather. I hope that I will be a better neighbor and friend. I hope that I will be a better Latter-day Saint with increased understanding of the wonderful aspects of this glorious gospel. After graduating from high school during the stage of intimacy versus isolation, I registered at a university and I joined the gymnastics team. I created an impressive routine on the uneven parallel bars and achieved some success in competition. Just prior to the regional meet, I decided to change the final maneuver of my routine. As the first competitor from our team, I felt confident that the change I had made would result in a winning routine, and I anticipated an extremely positive outcome. My performance, however, was anything but satisfactory, as I fell from the bars with every maneuver that I attempted. After completion of the routine, I walked from the apparatus in absolute humiliation and disgust. I could not look my teammates nor my coach in the eye. As I tearfully made my way past my coach, his only comment was, I never should have let you change the ending of your routine. I have often pondered upon his comment and the devastating impact the change in my final maneuver had upon my performance and that of my peers. In spite of hard work and dedicated preparation, the other members of my team felt my discouragement and loss of vision. They also performed substandard routines. I learned a few things from this experience. In my mind, the maneuvers of my routine represent the implementation of my goals. The final maneuver embodies the personal vision of where I am going in life, and the outcome is dependent upon my performance. It reminds me of the importance of setting righteous goals in life and not giving up, even during trials. It reminds me of the value of having a sound vision of where you are going and the importance of recognizing the influence that we have upon each other. I think about this experience often when reviewing my goals for life. My ponderings about my experience on the gymnastics team solidified my determination to attain goals that will lead me to a righteous end in my life's journey. Setting righteous goals early in life has provided positive direction for my spiritual and academic learning. In a timeless address, Elder M. Russell Ballard tells us, I believe you can train yourself to become a positive thinker, but you must cultivate a desire to develop the skill of setting personal, worthy, and realistic goals. 
I am so thoroughly convinced that if we don't set goals in our life and learn how to master the technique of living to reach our goals, we can reach a ripe old age and look back on our life only to see that we have reached but a small part of our full potential. When you learn to master the principle of setting a goal, you will then be able to make a great difference in the results you attain in this life. He goes on to instruct us, If your goals are righteous, of God-given perspective, eternal in their nature, then go for them. Pray for the inner strength to have the discipline to do those things that will guarantee through your activity and your life that you will reach your goals. Then I think perhaps as important as anything, we have to have faith. We have to have faith in God. We have to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And oh, how desperately we have to have faith in ourselves. Close quote. How important it is to trust in yourself, to have faith that you can complete your goals. What are your goals in life? You are here at this extraordinary university. It is evident that you have set educational goals. Hopefully you have also set spiritual goals as well as goals for family and service as you seek light and truth and apply the knowledge and intelligence you are attaining. I have found that my spiritual goals and my educational goals complement each other and have provided strength to overcome many of the vicissitudes of life. I have learned to trust in the Lord as I pursue my goals. My educational journey and my journey in life have not been without challenges. In fact, there are those who wonder why I have continued to pursue my education when considering the tests of life. Some of my greatest challenges were encountered while I was a single mother. For 25 years, I raised my children alone. This adventure, however, did not deter me from my goals of raising a righteous family, seeking for spiritual learning, and continuing my education. I remember feeling very old when I returned to school, now in this age of generativity versus stagnation. I had been a registered nurse for 14 years, and my youngest child was 16 years old. But the prompting to return to school was so strong that I knew I should continue. Even so, I completed a few courses online before I was brave enough to enter the traditional classroom. The very first day of class, I knew that I would never survive this journey without a friend. And so when I returned home that night and knelt in prayer, I prayed for a good friend. The next week when I returned to class, there was another, more mature woman sitting in the back. I knew when I met her that my prayer had been answered. Jane and I became steadfast friends. To this day, we continue to support each other through the various life challenges. Our friendship has strengthened my faith that our Heavenly Father is aware of our goals and is involved in the very details of our lives. It has also made me aware of the importance of having a good friend as you pursue your goals in life. Because of my friendship with Jane, I began to pray each day that my children, and now my grandchildren, will each find a good friend and then be a good friend. When I came to teach at BYU, I extended my prayer to each of you. Sometimes I even say a quiet prayer as I walk across campus and notice a student who looks like they could use a good friend. Hopefully my prayers have been answered in your behalf. I hope that you will each join me in my prayer, that you will each find a good friend and be a good friend. One evening, following a long day's work at the hospital, I entered the BYU Salt Lake Center to attend a graduate-level course. On this particular evening, I was very tired, and I chose to take the elevator to class rather than carry my very large and heavy backpack of books up the stairs. As I stood waiting for the elevator, I commiserated. I was tired. 
I wondered if this goal of advanced education was worth it. I knew that it would open new doors of employment, but it would not change my financial income. And I thought, what on earth were you thinking when you returned to school? As I considered my motives, I glanced to the side and noticed the words, Enter to learn, go forth to serve. And I knew immediately that my education would help me. It would help me obtain new light and truth and make available opportunities of faithful service that I had not previously contemplated. I love the motto of Brigham Young University. It provided guidance as I contemplated my education, and it continues to guide my service today. Elder Bednar offers insight regarding our motto. Quote, On the landmark sign located at the entrance to Brigham Young University, the following motto is found. Enter to learn, go forth to serve. This expression certainly does not imply that everything necessary for a lifetime of meaningful service can or will be obtained during a few short years of higher education. Rather, the spirit of this statement is that students come to receive foundational instruction about learning how to learn and learning to love learning. Furthermore, students' desires and capacities to serve are not put on hold during their university years of intellectual exploration and development. May I respectfully suggest an addition to this well-known motto that is too long to put on the sign but important for us to remember, regardless of which university or college we attend. Enter to love learning and serving. Go forth to continue learning and serving. I am grateful for the opportunities that I have had to advance my education. It is my continual prayer that I will recognize opportunities of service that will enable me to share my education and my testimony of the gospel. In a lecture given to students in the BYU Honors Program during 1994-1995, James S. Jardine suggests that, and I quote, We have prescribed duty to develop the gifts and talents, including intellectual gifts bestowed upon us by God. He instructs us that in order to consecrate our gifts, we must first develop them, and that our consecrated learning enables us more completely to comfort those who stand in need of comfort whether they are learned or uneducated, successful or downtrodden, gracious or difficult. Close quote. Shortly after completing my master's degree, I contemplated returning to further my education with a doctorate degree. I began preparing applications to doctoral programs, and I fasted and prayed that I would know which course would be best for me to take. The answer to my prayers came in the form of the still small voice whispering that a doctoral degree was not needed for the next service that I would be asked to provide. I withheld my doctoral applications with the exception of one that was already submitted. The Spirit then came even stronger, indicating that a doctoral degree would not be needed for the service I would provide next. The promptings that came so strongly that I began to pray that I would not be accepted. I was not accepted into the graduate program, although my friend Jane was. It was a bittersweet experience, and yet we both went forward in faith. A few short months later, I received the calling to serve as one of the Relief Society presidents at the Utah State Prison. It was a deeply spiritual experience, a unique opportunity that required me to serve with all of my heart, might, mind, and strength, one that continually reminded me of our divine heritage and the love that our Heavenly Father has for us. The first Sunday that I attended meetings at the prison, 
The Spirit bore witness to me that I had been prepared to serve in this calling. I had been prepared spiritually, educationally, and by unique life experiences. One of my responsibilities as the Relief Society president was to evaluate the needs of the women attending our meetings. I would meet with each woman individually and discuss their life goals and physical needs as they worked toward their release. Then, just prior to their release, I would prepare orders for clothing and personal items. I generally would deliver the needed items to a halfway house late in the afternoon. However, one morning I delivered the items early, prior to coming to campus for class. On my way to campus, my thoughts focused on the challenges and struggles the women faced and the strength that each of us needs to overcome adversity and the empowerment of education. My thoughts were heavy that day as I pondered how to best meet the needs of the women I was serving. As I arrived on campus and parked, I also began to contemplate the needs of the students in my class. Just as I stepped across the classroom threshold, the still small voice whispered that there were students in my class that day who had also experienced unhappy struggles in life and were seeking to improve themselves through education. And I paused, for the Spirit bore witness that I teach among spiritual giants and dearly beloved children of our Heavenly Father. I was once again reminded of the spiritual gifts offered to each of God's children, the power of the Atonement, the importance of setting wise goals in all areas of our lives, and the empowerment of education. My educational journey did not end with my calling as a Relief Society president. Rather, it has continued throughout my life. President Eyring instructs us, quote, No service that matters can be given over a lifetime by those who stop learning. A great teacher is always studying. A nurse never stops facing the challenge of dealing with something new, be it equipment or procedure, and the workplace in every industry is changing so rapidly that what we know today will not be enough for tomorrow. Close quote. My real-life education continues to this day. I am constantly studying for my professional service and for my family, community, and Church service. In May of this year, I graduated one more time, this time with my Doctor of Nursing Practice degree. It represented the fulfillment of one more goal. The Lord had not forgotten. I had the honor of graduating with my sister, who had taken the past nine years to complete her bachelor's degree in business. It was a great honor for both of us as we completed our educational goals. We are blessed to have families who supported us and rejoiced in our educational achievements. We are grateful for a Heavenly Father who recognized our goals and blessed us with the fortitude to continue our education. I have not yet reached the final stage of development. However, for nearly 12 years, I cared for a great aunt as she progressed through the stage of ego integrity versus despair. Some days were more difficult than others for Aunt Beth, especially as she neared the end of her life. One evening after a particularly trying day, Beth and I talked about some of our life journeys and contemplated together the plan of happiness that the Lord has provided for us. At the end of our conversation, Beth took my hand and said, Life is good, Peggy. Life is good. She looked at the past with peace and satisfaction. The conflict was mastered. In May of this year, Beth passed away at the age of 98. 
Throughout my life, I have received priesthood blessings to help me as I work towards my goal of education and service. While serving in my calling at the prison, I received a blessing that opened my eyes of understanding about our relationship with our Heavenly Father, the respect He has for our righteous goals, and the deep love that He has for each one of us. I don't usually share personal blessings. However, I feel this blessing was meant to be shared. On the day that I received the blessing, the stake presidency of the sponsoring stake at the prison was visiting our meetings. All of the women who wanted blessings had received them, and I was asked by a counselor of the stake presidency if I would like a priesthood blessing. At the beginning of the blessing, the counselor thanked me for my service. Then he paused and he said the following, The Lord desires your success. He desires your success in all aspects of your life, in your profession, in your education, in your family, in your relationships. The Lord desires your success. It empowers me when I realize that the Lord desires my success. It motivates me to engage my mind in education and righteous activities, to be a better person, to set righteous goals, to be a good friend, to consecrate my learning, and to go forward with faith. My friends, I bear you my testimony that I know that God lives that Jesus is the Christ, that they know and love each one of us. I bear you my testimony that they know your goals and they desire your success in your education, in your profession, in your service, in your families, and in your relationships. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was God Wants You to Succeed, with thoughts from Richard G. Scott, Janet G. Lee, and Peggy H. Anderson. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.